This is an Area Code podcast. Hey guys, it's Aaron here. While our hiatus as a podcast continues, I started a new podcast recently called Your Next Favorite Book, where I share about one book that I really enjoy in every episode. These books run the spectrum of genres and styles in much the same way that the books Dave and I would share here do. But this is a bit of a deeper dive, a almost a book review type of experience. And today, I want to share with you one of my favorite episodes of your next favorite book so far, which focuses on one that I discovered by accident but absolutely love. And that book is Faith, Hope, and Carnage by Nick Cave and Sean O'Hagan. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy the book. And if you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to your next favorite book on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast app. You know, one of my favorite brain candy genres is celebrity memoirs. Now, I'm not saying that they're all amazing reads, because in all honesty, there are a lot of them that are, well, not. They're a little too self-aggrandizing. There are some that are a bit too self-interested and pompous, and all, all basically the things you would expect from celebrity writing, or someone writing for a celebrity. But there are some of these books that are an absolute delight to read that somehow manage to both be self-deprecating and insightful in equal measure. I mean, one great example is Dave Grohl's The Storyteller. That's one that immediately comes to mind that falls into that latter category and reminds me as a reader why Grohl has a reputation for being one of the nicest guys in rock music. Well, not too long ago, I was in a very small bookstore and I heard a couple other customers in there talking about a book that just happened to fit into this genre. And it was one that wasn't so much of a traditional memoir as it was a recorded conversation, an extended interview between a journalist and a musician that covered everything from music and songwriting, to life during a pandemic, to the death of a teen child, drug addiction, the purpose of religion and belief, and the possibility of hope. And what made it even more interesting was the artist who was at the center of it all. An artist that, depending on your age, you might never have actually heard of, which is a shame because you're missing out. But if you're like me, which is to say you're undeniably middle-aged and you're familiar with the moody and mercurial post-punk alternative music scene, uh, particularly that of the late 1970s and into the 80s, then you can't not know who this artist is. Do you have any guesses? It's Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And the book? Faith, Hope, and Carnage. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and this is your next favorite book. Mm-hmm. Born-
Born in Australia in September of 1957, Nick Cage is a singer, songwriter, poet, lyricist, author, screenwriter, and composer. And if that weren't enough, he's even done the odd bit of acting. Best known as the frontman of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, his music tends to explore a lot of different themes, including religion, death, America, and Americana. Um, he's a big Southern Gothic fan, uh, interestingly. Um, he explores violence and love and loss, and he does it all through a very eclectic mix of genres. And so depending on your taste and depending on the album, Cave's music is either going to be something that you are going to love or something that you're going to want to buy a physical copy of just to throw it out the window. Now, personally, I enjoy the variety that I get in his music, so I won't be defenestrating any albums anytime soon. Now, the more that I learn about Nick Cave as a person, though, the more fascinating he becomes to me. I mean, his resume conjures the image of a restless creative, always searching for a new way to express himself, or at a minimum, to protect himself from boredom. His documented struggles with substance abuse equally conjure the image of a restless person, always searching for a kind of contentment, a comfort from whatever inner turmoil plagues him. And these are probably not entirely unrelated, but I'm also not a psychologist nor even an armchair expert in the field, so make of that what you will. Regardless, one thing is clear. That Cave is as intimately familiar with grief, pain, and sorrow as he is love, hope, and joy. And the unexpected death of his teenage son Arthur in 2015 certainly falls into that former category. It's the kind of grief that every parent fears, the kind that shatters families. But for Cave, rather than bringing his marriage to an end and resuming a life of addiction and probably realistically seeing his life end prematurely, what happened was that his son's death transformed his music as his grief, his anger, his sorrow, and even hope infused the songs that he began to write after. The songs that made up the Skeleton Tree and Ghost Teen albums. In and in this, in his grief, he also found the ability to open up with his audience, to create a deeper, though mediated, form of community with, uh, through his Red Hand Files newsletter, where he's been repeatedly overwhelmed by the types of stories that people will send him. And at the level of inten- intensity and intimacy that he recognized that, this, that people are seeking in a cloistered and fragmented world such as ours. When the pandemic made the world stop in 2020, Cave and his friend, journalist Sean O'Hagan, started recording a series of conversations all about all of these things, about everything. Drawing from Cave's early childhood up to today, faith, hope, and carnage, is the fruit of more than 40 hours of candid conversations exploring what drives Cave's life and creativity. It's a book of questions about belief and art, freedom, grief, and love, the questions that all of us wrestle with and all of us spend our lives trying to answer, even if we don't realize it. 
the questions that shape who we are. We'll be right back. You know, my whole life, I've loved movies, music, and especially books. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely feel the same way. I was a voracious reader at every stage of life. But when I became a Christian in my mid-20s, I had to ask, how should my newfound faith relate to my reading? And for that matter, how should it affect every area of my life, my relationships, my work, how I treated people who I might disagree with? And that's on top of learning the, about the habits that would help me grow in my faith, like reading the Bible, prayer, and being part of a Christian community. Learning about what it means to live as a Christian isn't easy, especially if you don't have any familiarity with it at all. That's why I wrote, I'm a Christian, now what? This book is a guide helping new believers walk through some of the big questions that will come up in their early weeks, months, and even years as a Christian. And so it covers everything from what exactly happened to them, what the Bible is, how to pray when it seems weird, and what to look for in a Christian community. But it also addresses how to handle disagreement in a distinctly Christian way, untangling the mess of sex and marriage, and even how to engage with things like music, movies, and yes, books. People who have followed Jesus for a long time will also benefit from this book because it will help them to see the opportunities they have to serve new believers like these, new believers like I was, helping them to develop a strong foundation for their life with Christ in meaningful and practical ways. I'm a Christian Now What is available to order now. You can find it anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, or you can order it from your favorite local bookstore. There is so much that I found fascinating as I read and actually listened to, at the same time, Faith, Hope, and Carnage. The musical aspect was was fascinating without question and in fact the the audiobook does something that's kind of fun as an interstitial between each chapter it includes a an element of Caves 2019 album Ghosting and basically kind of as a preview of that and so I really enjoyed that part but when it comes to the content of the book itself and the conversations between him and O'Hagan Cave's creative partnership with Warren Ellis, and that's the musician, not the comic book writer and novelist for the two of you who might get confused about that. That aspect intrigued me without a, out a doubt. I mean, some of that intrigue comes down to maybe actually a kind of envy. I mean, what must it be like to have the sort of dynamic that those two have in a purely creative setting to be able to develop a kind of shorthand and almost instinctive understanding of one another and how they work and how they think. I mean, that's not something that I've really ever experienced in my professional life, certainly not to this point. But I also do a different kind of work, the the sort that tends to be slightly more solitary. And so I don't work that closely in a creative way with another person. Then there's his perspective on people. There's this pervasive sense that Cave really believes that people are valuable, that we inherently have dignity and worth, not in a utilitarian sense, but simply because of who and what we are. 
And chapter 6, which is called Doubt and Wonder, starts to really bring this truth to the fore as Cave and O'Hagan discuss the unsustainability of secularism. That in seeking to find meaning in politics, personal identity, and the like, we're only going to continue to fall into cynicism and distrust. And that leads to a feeling of meaninglessness, of emptiness that permeates so many of the messages he receives from those who write to him via the red hand files. And that's a really profound and important point, that the worldview that we have taken on as a society, that it doesn't preclude finding meaning in something, because as human beings, we can't not find meaning in things. But when we are, when we are divorced from a higher power, you know, certainly what, uh, as, as a Christian, separated from God, we, f- we seek out that meaning that only comes from him through things like politics and in ourselves. And that is disastrous. And so instead, Cave wants people to see that our lives are more valuable than perhaps we sometimes think them to be, or indeed that we are told they are, that our lives are in fact an enormous are of enormous consequence, and that our actions reverberate in ways that we can hardly know. And that's a quote that you'll find on page 81 of this book. And so this kind of thinking should not surprise anyone. And yet when I read it and then heard it again in the audiobook, my immediate reaction was that Cave said the quiet parts out loud. The best ones, the ones that we know in our heart of hearts are true because they're the ones that we so often act on even when we advocate for the contrary in our political decisions. And that applies to both sides of the aisle for whatever it's worth. So, you know, I'm shooting shooting everybody equally today. Now, finally, there's Cave's take on belief and religion, which covers the whole book from beginning to end, but is very strong, both in chapter 6, which I just mentioned, but also in chapter 2, the utility of belief. This was actually the chapter that hooked me on the rest of the book, but it wasn't because I found out that Cave has been hiding the fact that he's a Christian for the last couple of decades, because despite, in his words, being fascinated by the Bible and by the life of Christ especially, his own seeming understanding that some kind of God exists, and that, and so many other statements that he makes throughout this book to apply a label about what he believes from the external without actually talking to him, I think would be overstating. And in fact, what he says is he 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 actually deftly avoids some very direct questions from O'Hagan on um on some of um some beliefs uh that he holds you know whether he whether he adheres to or believes in any um you know in redemption in the traditional christian sense or and what i get out of that is that 
Cave is figuring these things out for himself, that he's on, that he's on some kind of journey. So that when Cave says when, that he is fascinated, I think he genuinely means exactly what he says. That he recognizes that there's something of value in the person of Jesus and in the Bible that introduces him to us. That he believes that religion itself matters. And that it has to matter because it creates a unity among people, or it can. He shared that he believes that religion is spirituality with rigor, I guess. And yes, it makes demands on us. And he says, for me, it involves wrestling with the idea of faith, that seam of doubt that runs through most credible religions. It's that struggle with the notion of the divine that is at the heart of my creativity. And so this is in part what attracts him to writers like Flannery O'Connor and William Faulkner, authors who were also wrestling with religious ideas in their work and in their lives. They recognized that there's something deep within the human heart, a kind of yearning, as Cave describes it, a desire, a longing for something else, something beyond ourselves. And this is something that he sees in himself, something that he describes as needing to attend to, although he's unsure if he'll ever fully be able to surrender himself to even the idea that God definitively exists. All of what he says about God and religion and the Bible in this book, even the parts that I don't agree with as a Christian, as a person of faith, these were some of my favorite aspects of the book because these these are the things that remind me of the conversations that I want to have with people, the kinds of discussions that we need to be willing to have within our society, but are so fractured that we're rarely willing to give anything that might conflict with what we already believe an ear. But I want more of that. Not the conflict, but the willingness to engage with potentially difficult subjects. And this book gave me a little bit of hope that it might even be possible. As you can imagine, this book is definitely for mature readers. And if you are more of an audiobook fan, it's not one that I would listen to in the car with kids present, uh, though that's primarily because of language. There's a lot, but it's absolutely a book that is worth investing the time into. Not because of the subject on the surface, though. Whether you love Cave's work, whether you've never heard of him, you should read this book because, honestly, even though it's about him, it's not about him. It's about us. It's about humanity. It's one that might actually give you a little bit of hope that we can be more than we currently are. More than what social media algorithms and cable news and everything that is shaping and twisting and warping us is making us to be. Which is why it's probably my favorite book that I've read this year so far. 
And I hope that if you do read it, it might become one of yours too. Your next favorite book is written, recorded, and produced by me, Aaron Armstrong. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcast platform and leave a five-star rating and review. This goes a long way to helping people find the show. You can also find a link to order a copy of the book featured in today's episode in the show notes. And be sure to check out my book, I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ, everywhere books are sold. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next time to introduce you to what might be your next favorite book. This is an Area Code podcast.